Hey everybody, welcome to Applying to Everything, a show about our passions, the world, and where they overlap. I'm your host, Bruno Falcon. This week, I sit down with improv coach and body language expert Chris Ulrich. We talked about comedy as connection, self-awareness in stand-up, and being present in the moment. Enjoy. You don't have I you. I don't know if it matters. Um, that's okay. Why don't we? Sure? Yeah, because I've got I've got you in both, and I've got you on the wave. So I All think right. we're I think we're good. All right, I got yeah. you. Yeah, awesome. I got you. Baby. <laughs> All right, awesome. All right, man. Um, well, Chris, thanks for thanks for sitting down and talking to me today. Um, Bruno Falcon, my favorite <laughs> name any, of any improv class I've ever had. The name Bruno Falcon <laughs> remains legendary. So it's a joy to sit with you. I mean. I had nothing to do with it. You know, thankfully, thankfully I had no part in this. Otherwise I probably would have been Velociraptor something. I mean, Velociraptor Falcon is a pretty good name. I'm not going to lie. Um, that's, that's not bad. Uh, Velociraptor. I great. So, um, so I guess I I wanted to start out and, and talk about, uh, what got like, what got you into improv in the first place? Um, it's a great question. You know, I, you know, growing up, uh, Comedy was my lifeline. Mm-hmm. There were times like uh, when my fo- around the time uh, my brothers I have a brother he's ten years older than me. Around the mm-hmm. time he left to go to college, uh, we've been eighteen, so I was eight, seven, seven, eight years old, and my folks they were having their issues. Sure, but uh, but we had really close neighbors next door. The houses were super close, so they'd lock me in, and sometimes on New Year's uh, they would. Uh, I was old enough; they would come over and check me on me occasionally, but. They would leave me, and I would uh, probably age inappropriately, watch um, <laughs> HBO's uh, in those days, and I think to some extent maybe still does it, but this string of comedian shows. So it would be like, you know, uh, the, the Night of Carolyn's out of New York, and there would be these five, six comedians. And then there was Carlin. There was Pryor. There was uh, Steve Martin would do these specials. And uh, Pryor, Steve Martin, Robin Williams... Uh, Jonathan Winter, Jonathan Winters were my kind of like, oh my God, these guys are so funny. And uh, so comedy throughout my years had always been uh, the lifeline. Loved comedy, loved humor. And then I, when I moved to D.C., ultimately, like in grad school, I touched improvisation. I went to an open uh, show at the University of Pittsburgh. I was doing my graduate degree in uh, Master's in International Administration mm-hmm. and Politics. <clears throat> and... Uh, I went, I just happened to go to, they must have had like a improv troupe and it was doing, they were doing a show in the round, um, in some room. And so what they did was they played a game of freeze where mm-hmm. their care, they started off with their, the troops and then they would, you'd say freeze, you'd come out of the audience, tag somebody and you'd be, you'd play in. And I remember coming down terrified to get up on stage and just be like freeze. And I came in and looking back, I think the line was canned. It was in my head already, you know, but I did that line and, uh, and the roar of the crowd and the laughter connected with it was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I've never done heroin. <laughs> I don't plan on it anytime soon. But uh, from uh, that feeling of overwhelming uh, euphoria was how it felt. And I wouldn't touch it again until after I left the uh, White House. I'd go by the DC Improv all the time and be like, oh man, 
I wonder uh, if I could do stand up there. Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, take a class or something. Mm. And then I stumbled upon, not, I went to work at the Embassy, Embassy of Japan after the White House years, uh, after when the Bush diaspora hit, uh, all the Democrats like, <laughs> spread to the different areas, you know, and, uh, and burned out. I was burned out on politics. I was burned out. And that was after 9 11. Uh, I found this, I found that theater, you know, uh, and I walked in, and, you know, you know the club, and Allison Jaffe was the, um, the principal, and I'd gone back and forth with her on email, and finally what was stepped in. And took a class, and man, I was like, this is awesome. Again, that feeling, that same feeling I had gotten when I was in that grad school, and I felt like I was home. Yeah. And I've never left. <laughs> and it's like, uh, it's, it's been the gift, the greatest gift in terms of, it's opened up doors, it's, it's created a, a, a real, um, a world for me to kind of like, and uh, didn't know that ultimately it would start to be the, what I've kind of, how I make a living, you right. know? Um, but uh, so comedy and all of its forms. Uh, I don't do stand up, but like I admire stand up. I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's powerful when somebody and I study them because how do they pause? How do they bring it? How comfortable are they on stage? Just like when somebody can really work a room, uh, and it translates back to an improvisation. Some of the stand ups come in, and we work on getting them faster on their feet to deal with hecklers, to deal with to do crowd work. And right. so I love seeing that and being a part of their world and. And so for me, you know, uh, improv is the, it's a meditative chamber in a way. It's my uh, cave on the top of the mountain. Right. You know, so right, right. Um, that's a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> and, and uh, but it's like something that has always kind of run, run in my blood vein. Yeah. Or my blood, and my veins and my arteries, you know, that's like, that fuels me. Right. As you were working through, as you were working through improv, did you find yourself naturally moving towards teaching? Was that something that you sort of came to? No. No to teaching. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it. I had an opportunity to sub for Sean Westfall, who taught at the Improv for a while. Right. Uh, was a mentor to me in many ways um, on that. And uh, I subbed for him because he was sick. And I think it was like the only class he ever missed or something like that in all mm-hmm. the years he taught there. Uh, uh, and I, I had a good time with it. And, um, and then later on, when they were trying to, looking to expand the club a little bit and add some people, uh, Allison came to me and said, hey, I think you'd be good at this. You want to give it a shot? And I was like, I don't know, Allison. I don't know if that's up my alley. And, um, and when I gave it a shot, I loved it. I loved, uh, I loved watching people come in and in some way, shape, or form have kind of similar moment that I had when I walked in there. Right. And it could have been as much as like, oh my God, I'm home. Or maybe, just maybe, for one minute, this was a place where they could... Uh, uh, let out the sigh and mm-hmm. relax and be okay with whatever was going on or to remember to play a little bit. It's kind of been like my big mantra. I had a chance uh, about three weeks ago to do a TED Talk on improv yeah. and play and how little we'd get to do it as adults. We still, you know, people still do it, but they don't get as much time to do it. And how much like uh, we put on um, our lives uh, on a shell of our bodies and to watch the ice fall off people when they're in doing certain games and laughing as little kids yeah. uh, my refrain in that talk was there you are Peter like Peter Pan you know the movie Hook popped into my head so that's been the gift every time I watch somebody the ice fall off their shoulders then relax I feel like they're finding their inner Peter Pan mm-hmm. and will quietly always say to myself there you are Peter and uh, I, it, it's a moment that like I'm like and it, and it fuels me because it's like okay this is the start of it 
You know, a lot of people will come in and say, I want to be a better speaker. I want to be a better, uh, better in situations at work where I'm called on the moon. All that happens. But what really happens at the end of the day, people go out on their own. They start doing their, what their passion is, you know. I mean, you may have done this, the podcast world regardless. Right. Um, but uh, I feel like it's the push that gets you to do it on top of whatever else life, the universe throws at you to get you to do it. You know, um, uh, Dara, sometimes, Dara, if she will remind us, uh, is out there doing her own cooking business. She's chef. Right. She yeah. was actually a guest on the show. Oh, she's fantastic. yeah, no, she's our she's our second guest. Um, nice. We talked about improv during the show a little bit when she was on, and sort of the experience of feeling free enough mm. to fail, mm. and like and and free enough to fail so that it's not debilitating. Like I think one of the 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 gift I took away from those first few classes was that um, if I if I go out and try, like if I trust that. If I fall, I'll catch myself or someone else or someone else will step in long enough for me to pick myself up off the floor yeah. that, you know, that failing teaches me to, to do it better next time or to, or to be free to fail and have that be a good thing. Like sometimes those moments when you really fail mm. um, in a scene are the like when you feel when you go out and you're just totally stuck. It's a freeing time for someone to come in and say, okay, cool, what can I do with this shock and awe? Like, why is this person totally startled? And you get that beautiful, that you get this, suddenly the scene is about you being totally locked in. Yeah. I can't remember, I can't remember if it was in one of the classes that we did or, or in one of the practices outside, There, we had a moment where somebody came out and to, like had something and then lost it the second they, the second they were on stage. Um, you mean like a, black, a gray like out? Like total gray out, just yeah. sort of like... What like, do I yeah, do? Eyes what do I head, do? Deers in, deer in the headlights. Deer in the headlights. Yeah. And then the scene became about that. Like, and they, nice. and they just stayed there. Like it went, and you could see it there. There was that moment where they shifted from like, I'm, I'm locked and I can't move right. to, I'm making a mistake. I'm failing to, this is the best thing that's happened in this moment. <laughs> and now every, cause, because everybody suddenly gets to play with like, are you a statue? Are you dead? Like, what right. are, what are you? Yeah. How are you doing this thing? <laughs> um, and it becomes, so you find the game. Uh, yeah, and and to me, like a, a lot of different schools of improv out there, a lot of different approaches. But I, I just I try to simplify it for myself. Is game to me is what's that most interesting thing that's just happened or is happening or that funny thing that we all liked and maybe want to see more of and and uh, flush out, live in, try on. You know all the all those uh, elements. It's Tina Tina Fey's line, right? Uh, that there are no mistakes, only opportunities. I think, and mm-hmm. you know, some adaption from probably something she heard. But but if we embrace it, or when I embrace it, I just speak for myself. That uh, it's like, all right, you know, this is an opportunity. Not too long ago, I planned another trip called Knox, and uh, we had twenty five minutes, I think, and the show's going on, and we're about halfway through, and and a guy uh, in the booth is playing with the lights, but he played with the lights so much that uh, I thought, from my perspective, that the dim. Had played, so I thought we're done. <laughs> so uh, I'm starting to wrap it up, you know, like I'm trying to bring different elements together. And then uh, Alex Beard, who's a colleague of uh, Knox with me, I turn to him and I bring his character in it, thinking that it's over. And he realizes as I've done that, I'm turning to everybody and say, Good night, everybody, we're Knox. And we still have like 10 minutes left. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so the troop. After initial, like, no, 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 no. Like, we laughed for a second, and we just used it in the rest of the show and became a, a component of it. Uh, and then finally at the very end uh, at the show, they all look at me, and I'm like, thank you, we're Knox. 
And it, that was how we ended it, you know, <laughs> right? And, uh, and the crowd was in it. It was just so funny. I felt I was super embarrassed in the moment. And I was grateful to have that moment. I was grateful to be like, I, I loved, you know, I was like, oh, God, I just messed up. And also being like, oh, God, I just messed up. This is funny. And I love how everyone dealt with it. Everyone laughed about it for a second. And, and then well, one of, I think it was Aaron uh, Mosby, I was on the team, said, that was a Knox intermission. Now welcome back to Knox part two. You know, it was like, just rolled into the rest of it. And, and one of the gifts of having played with, I play another troupe with Joe Randazzo, Jive Turkey, is we accept each other's uh, idiosyncrasies and, you know, we're all characters, you know, in our own right, let alone on creating characters. And, uh, and there's a level of trust and love that takes place underneath it, even mm-hmm. at times that we drive each other crazy. But underneath it is this real gift of love that shows up on the stage. There's few if far of any time I ever feel left out or abandoned on the stage. You know, and afterward, if they did, or I did, I go over and say, oh, man, I should have saved you in that scene. Or I'm like, oh, I had nothing, you know. Uh, but it's a reminder to myself, as the same I tell students, jump in there in the, in the land of the unknown and see what you get to know. Right. You know? So, so uh, taking, taking a bit of a step, um, how did improv play into you getting involved in body language work? Like, was, was, the, was that space where you're, was, was that space sort of a, a, an easy transitional point or did they sort of come tangentially? Well, I think with all of the uh, improvisation, and, and if you've been in my class, you've heard me say that it's, it's responsible for all the work I do today. It's literally the hand that opened and grabbed my hand and pulled me out of, um, pulled me up out of my other worlds. And what I mean by that is, uh, the opportunity to teach presented itself. The opportunity with body language presented itself because um, I I, decide, I went to a around the same time I started doing improv, maybe a couple of years after it. I started to um, uh, I had time. I was working at the embassy of Japan and I had time. Like I, the day ended at five. In my previous world in politics, the day would end at. Uh, question mark. Yeah. It's like the party, you know, the party <laughs> invitation you get. Party at Bruno's house, nine to question mark. Every day was nine in the morning to question mark. I'm, you know, yeah. you know this lifestyle. Yes, I do. So I went uh, to these classes called Pros in the City, mm-hmm. and one of them was body language. Right. Janine Driver talks about body language, da 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 da. And, uh, you know, we're in her office as we speak that I get to share with her. Uh, her books are on, on right before us as we speak, actually. And she had written a book called You Say More Than You Think. That one's sitting over there on the table there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was running people through exercises uh, on top of it. But in the class I went to, it was just about an intro to body language. And afterward, we started to talk. And uh, she, we became fast friends. Um, uh, connected, had a natural mental, you know, connection with each other. One, she's, she's a very fascinating, interesting, curious human being. Mm-hmm. As a, uh, I'm curious. And so she talked about body language. I, at that point, was talking about um, fitness. I was also uh, getting into and, and teaching and uh, was a um, uh, trainer, personal mm-hmm. trainer. And in that, she discovered I did improvisation. So over time, uh, some of the exercises, when she was running that book to make sure the exercises worked and the feedback she was getting, she had these two groups that went through all... There's some you know, steps you can do to master body language mm-hmm. in your own life. How's it showing up, et cetera. And so I was in a group that uh, she put through these exercises so she could get that feedback, put it in her book. Um, and in that process, uh, uh, over time, she was teaching classes. Right. And so she'd say, hey, with your improv, would you come in and do two hours mm-hmm. of uh, you know, improv? I was like, yeah. And so based on having studied some of it with her, gone through her trainings, and on top of that, 
um, ultimately going through this five-day training that you did, uh, and then and then uh, doing that work, and then continuing my education with her and these other folks that she had levels to classes, uh, I became certified in body language. Mm-hmm. And it's evolved and evolved and evolved. Like with body language, like improvisation, there's no, there's no end point. You can right. just continue to study because there's two parts to body language. One is the science of body language, and that's like the Paul Ekman micro-expressions um, work. And that's, these are facial expressions of, out of emotions that happen in one to one fifteenth of a second. You might be sm- pretending to smile. I say, how you doing? You smile. It's a voluntary aspect, but the subconscious part of your brain... Um, uh, trigger sadness. We see that in the microexpression, like happens like that. Mm. And uh, if I can spot that, see it, I can speak to it in a way that kind of like builds rapport with you and understands, you know, maybe saves your life, right? Maybe, you know, people are in a dark space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the art of it is so much of body language is perception. Right. You know, right now, uh, in the, you know, we just got done with an election and we're obsessed with the candidate's body language or, and, and you know, and one of the reasons we watch politicians, I think, is because they are, are examples of us, right? Right? We see them, and they are really us. You know, they're two human beings or three human beings, or who's how many people in the race uh, that are uh, dealing with the emotions, the exhaustions, the frustrations, and they show it, right? You know, and so um, uh, I'm, I was, my political background, my interest in improvisation, and my fascination with movement and how we move all kind of culminated in my world and came together in different, they were kind of running parallel to each other. Mm -hmm. It's like personal training, fitness, movement, uh, body language training, getting trained with Janine and learning from some of the people who taught her. One guy was a guy named JJ Newberry. It's a fascinating guy, uh, worked for ATF, known as a truth wizard. Mm -hmm. Could get you to confess on a night, had a 90% success rate, right? He came and and uh, did a course for us, and I was terrified he was going to put me in his hot seat, <laughs> right? And, uh, and then the third leg of that, the improvisation. Right. And they ran parallel, and in 2011, um, was it 2000? Yeah, 2011, I got fired from a job at George Washington University. Thank you, Barbara Porter. Um, and the, uh, and the, uh, the, D, the um, I was working for the president of the university, whose name I can't even remember as I sit here and tell, talk with you, but... Barbara, uh, you know, they had let go the um, the person br- that had brought me in, and I wasn't working. I wasn't their person. I wasn't their guy, right? right? And as in, as is their right, they let me go. Sure. And uh, and then that sitting in uh, Dupont Circle with my uh, bag of or my box of stuff, like right out of like a scene out of The Big Short, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there with my box of stuff, thinking, what the hell do I do now? Right. Meanwhile, I didn't realize that I'd been training for my career. My career for probably on uh, about 10 years, you know, those different um, avenues. Um, I didn't realize there was an opportunity right there to use all those. Uh, and so I started to do more body language training. I started to, uh, Janine uh, was expanding in terms of like sending me out on the road mm-hmm. to do talks. Mm-hmm. And that, my first talk was, I'll never forget it. It was just a, it was just this fascinating process to go and uh, uh, give a talk. You know, and she was really great helping me kind of put the training wheels on and help me and support me. Right. And so as that grew, uh, I was still improvising. Oh, I just want to say the improvisation was crucial mm-hmm. in that because you could prep all you wanted, but if stuff, the sound went down or other stuff went down or um, uh, if there were questions, I had to be able to act fast, get on my feet. So there are the practical applications of improvisation outside of the theater element of improvisation. Mm-hmm. 
And so now it was like, and to this now, I take those and I employ, I deploy those when I'm speaking. Um, I, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll shift gears in the middle of the talk. All that has been from the improvisation. And, uh, and the study of the body, lang- of body language, those two things working together has been like really informative because like I said, they inform my whole world, everything. So, when, oh, the other thing about 2011 when I got fired sitting there, I was like, uh, if, I'm gonna, if, if there's any way for me to become my own boss where I'm in charge of my future, Rather than putting in the hands of, you know, boss X, Y, or Z, right. um, I want to try to give that a shot. And so I had, some, I had savings, and I basically used those, worked off this. And around the same time, my mom passed. So it was like, to me, it was like, I have nothing to lose. Right. You know, uh, I've, uh, I've lost, I've lost just about, I lost my mom, I lost my job. Uh, you know, I've living off of savings. Uh, I feel like those are the moments that opportunity presents itself. Uh, you know, there's a, I was watching this documentary that I love called Finding Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody's listening, you're interested, go check it out. Finding Joe. It's about Joseph Campbell. We were talking about the Hero's Journey a little earlier. Mm-hmm. But it, in the talk, it talks about um, this Chinese symbol for crisis is really two component pieces. One is danger and the other is opportunity. And uh, I was in a dangerous time. You know, personally, in terms of like, you know, no holds barred, feeling like uh, at my saddle point of broke financially and all that stuff and just living off savings and like, where am I going? But having the vision of an opportunity that there was, a, there was space. Right. There was space I could create a world uh, I could thrive in based upon the skill set that I had developed over the 10 years where it was a secondary thing, where I went to do it as a hobby. Right. You know? But it was such a huge part of my life that it was like... It was right there, sitting at the table next to me. I'm like, "You coming this way? I'm gonna sit. You know, can I get you something? Yeah, let's use this. Uh, you know, in, in this particular world. And you know, I, I'm reminded of this. Like Fred Rogers, and the picture there, um, reminded me. Uh, you know, look for the helpers. Yeah. You know, um, not that at that point he died a, a, a while earlier, but it's you know, it, it was just requoted after the Manchester bombings. Like they were passing around, look for the helpers, look for the helpers, and. Uh, you know, that energy, that, you know, gift that he reminded me of was when, you know, to, it's okay to, uh, to be scared. It was okay to be afraid. Who are you when that happens? How do you deal with it? How do you deal with the mad? How do you deal with the scared, you know? And uh, so, you know, one of my gurus is Fred <laughs> Rogers, you know? Um, um, you know, Dalai Lama, Fred Rogers, my grandfather, D. Auditory. You know, those are my, uh, my gurus. And... Um, uh, I thought, like, what the hell? Let me go for this. What's the worst? It's, it's now or never. And so uh, that's when I created See You in the Moment, which mm-hmm. is my company. I, so I come in and I work, and I teach for, for Allison as me, just me, and then I do stuff for uh, Janine as uh, See You in the Moment, and, and I'm doing my own stuff as well, yeah. where I employ both of those, right. body language and um, uh, uh, improvisation. So. I don't know if that, that answered your question. Uh, no, that's I, awesome. That I went was, on a that, long-winded that's, rant. That's, a, that's, a, that's great. <laughs> Honestly, um, that's what the show kind of lives on, mm-hmm. is, is long-winded, long-winded rants and conversations that are kind of questions and kind of not. Yeah, <laughs> good. All right, cool. <laughs> um, which is kind of the space, I mean, that, that, kind, of, that kind of shared space is, is what, aside from improv, giving me the, the space to start doing this work great to start the show so you'd, you'd agree that this was oh kind yeah of a no, push improv got you kind of like to take that step i love to hear that part. yeah no improv improv was 
classes with Chris were a big part of me going out and doing the show, especially because it, it gave me the confidence to not worry about the audience because if you go there, they'll go there with you. And if you, you know, if you play to the highest intelligence in the room, they'll go there with you. And that being able to, you know, especially coming from the media end, doing so much work and like, we have to sell this idea or more importantly, we have to sell this candidate. So often you're driven to speak to the bottom of the bottom of the audience uh, like drive you know like i mean that's like fear, fear. in terms of like uh, we're talking about cl- um a quote candidate or i mean like i so we did um i did a lot of work on the pennsylvania senate race mm-hmm. last year uh, last uh last year and uh, that was a rough race the primary was tough uh the general was brutal um, that's K- the Katie McGinty race. Katie McGinty, Pat Toomey, right. Pat Toomey, because Pat Toomey has always been a moderate Republican, mm-hmm. and and it and Katie and we ended up having a tougher primary. Like um, um, Fetterman came out of nowhere, like he was just he was you know he was riding the Bernie bump and was this this you know six pl- six foot plus big tattooed mayor. Come out of, coming out of Western PA, oh, wow. who had this beautiful opening ad that was just all about like it, it was absolutely gorgeous, and it it made us do a lot of work up front, which put Katie in the in the firing line really early, right? <laughs> which right. meant like by the time we got to the general, it was attack on attack on attack. Like mm-hmm. it was you know you're playing to people's fear about losing healthcare, you're playing to people's fear about losing social security, you're right. playing to people's fear about where are the jobs, yeah. how am I going to pay for food, right? And because you have to do because that's what hits the ego quickest in 30 seconds like if you're if you're trying to get people to pay attention and right. be engaged in your or message the id, right the id yeah, yeah. And sorry the, I and, the ego. and the id and, and, the, and the id but but really the id i misspoke um but the you hit the id in 30 seconds and the best way to do that is be very afraid of this other person right Katie McGinty will save you. And, and like, yeah. and, but that's the structure. I mean, I'm singling her out because right. that was, we, I did so much work on that race, but all of political advertising right now, um, especially when you get into the actual race is mostly att- like it's 70% attack work because right. even though that's not what people say they want to hear, it's what's effective in moving the message. What, yeah. What resonates, right? Right. And that's so that's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah. And so that, but playing into that, playing to that fear bit like i feel like coming from coming from the perspective of you know improv where you learn to lean into it mm-hmm. like lean into the fear right because the fear is only the fear only has strength for as long as you decide it's a thing you don't want to go towards yeah. if you start going towards it all of a sudden like if, if you're willing to commit to being afraid of a thing and say okay cool i'm gonna go towards it anyway that fear usually dissipates yeah um and i think improv is a really valuable thing for that and i i can imagine from a body language perspective does being able to see that fear in other people help you to see it in yourself and address it differently? Well, you know, what, one quick note. Uh, you mentioned Katie McGinty. Was someone who I had a chance to work with her years ago. Mm-hmm. She would have been a tremendous senator. Oh, she she would have been dynamite, man. She was like hardcore policy wonk meets caring individual who really genuinely cares. Yeah. You know, really wanted about, to make Pennsylvania yeah, better. Yeah, you know, and uh, not maybe not that Pat Toomey doesn't, but... Uh, I just know Katie, and she would have rock, been a rock star at it. And I hope she stays at it and keeps keeps running, running and racing for it. You know, yeah, so, yeah, governor, senator, stay at it, Katie. So, so your questions around body language? Yes, 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 yes. And on on a stage in life, you know, 
when you have those moments where you can spot the emotion in someone else, one, you build rapport and trust with that person in a way. Because if you know this, a lot of times a conversation will take place between two people and it's really underneath underneath subcontext. The subtext, yes, that's mm-hmm. the word. Um, that's at play. That's where the reality and the real is. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you can read body language and read people, um, it it's a tool to kind of like wipe away all the crap and get more into that immediately. So if we're back on the stage, if you can see that a colleague is nervous or uncomfortable, you can play with that, play to help them uh, to collaborate, to... Um, uh, if you're on the sides, you know, a lot of times there'll be two people on the stage and the, we call it the wings in improvisation. The uh, fellow actors are jump into the show mm-hmm. as the show is rolling um, uh, to support someone if, if the scene's dying. Or it could just be a wipe where you mm-hmm. wipe, the, wipe the, the, uh, the stage to create a new line. So every tool in your tool bag, you know, body language, uh, improvisation, all those things, whatever helps you to connect with another human being mm-hmm. and yourself for that mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. uh is is worth it yeah you know um yeah i think i always think life's a little better when you know you're kind of uh, and, and we're all guilty of this not be present but like when you're present to what's going on around you man life's life's uh i find it more tolerable yeah and and having said that there's like just like improvisation uh, and the work of like studying body language there's the work of getting to the place where you can be present you know, I mean, there was a long time where the last thing I wanted to do was be present. Yeah, uh, running from the present, you know, was a uh, was an art form for me. You know, um, whether it was work or relationship or just trying to get lo- getting lost in whatever it was, and not necessarily in a bad side, you know, of judgment in that, but just but like real joy has come from getting present. Yeah. So I always feel for myself from when I'm able to connect with somebody because I spotted something in their in our body exchange on the stage uh, is really cool to see that. Or just if I'm with somebody that I know and I can see some some, some struggle with them, being able to speak to it, mm-hmm. you know, it might be just be a word, are you okay? And they break into tears. Yeah. And you have to be a body language expert to do that. And just be anybody who cares about another human being. <laughs> right. you know? uh, and I quoted this kind of like paraphrase this, uh, brutalized it. Uh, but McNapier says something about improv. He says improvisation is getting up on a stage, not knowing what you're going to do or say, and being completely okay and comfortable with it. Yeah. That's a little closer to what he uh, talked about. And I feel like uh, that's kind of a nice way to look at life. Can I be present in the stage of this moment, be okay with not knowing 100% what's going on, and then allow myself to be present and wherever that other person is, allow that to be happening and then allow it to hopefully we get to a moment where we're gelling right so i i think they're both really crucial uh the thing that drives me crazy is when you people talk about bilingual as a soft skill just i think of it as a crucial skill i mean or you know communicating and uh how are you you know people are people people i'm a people person you know that kind of stuff <laughs> all great but like it's not it's not it's not an option right. you know you can be the brightest most, most genius person and I've seen it but they can't communicate with somebody and and it's destroying them their reputation nobody wants to work with them uh it undermines their uh and then they get frustrated and it just turns snowballs. And so yeah so yeah. it's like uh how is that a soft skill yeah that's a crucial skill I was gonna climb onto a soapbox um I'm not going to uh it doesn't come it, down off the soft come, box. Come soapbox off the come soapbox. off the soapbox um get up one on Hyde Park <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that uh, when you're looking at soft, skill, soft skills, the, the label of soft skills, it's, it's talking about stuff that has a lot to do with self-awareness. Like mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the awesome yeah. things about like improv and, and, and about most comedians, and this is, this is not a blanket statement, but there's, an, there's a level of self-awareness that's required to engage in this play. Like you, you, have to, you have to be honest with yourself enough to know when you're being yourself on stage and when you're being a character on stage mm-hmm. and when you're and and you have to be self-aware enough to to be doing it with other people whether it's if you're doing stand-up you're doing it with other people you're just doing it with the audience you're the only one talking but there are lots of opinions in the room body language and improv and 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 physical fitness all play into that sort of self-awareness like finding that space because it's hard to do any of that well if you're not ready to look in the mirror and and sort of turn that like turn that light in to find a way to put the rest of it out there and oh. see it in other people yeah that's interesting uh, you know you read about comedians that are like you know have struggled a long time with the darkness inside right and that's where they wrote their comedy from and watching comedians evolve when they work through that you know early in his career like steve martin talked about having breakdowns emotional breakdowns and um and many a comedian you know had their issues like a prior or you know, Jonathan Winters had mental kind of issues sometimes where he wasn't sure where the character ended and where he started, mm-hmm. as he would say. Um, you know, so I think, th- you know, I think maybe the work and the comedy is the doorway for them and to, you know, deal with that, to become more self-aware. And a lot of poignant comedians like a George Carlin from the old days, if you think, if you, I've been going back and watching him more and more because what he talked about is so relevant today. Mm-hmm. Uh talked about through his comedy himself like he once brought a, uh, a poster out and he said um, this guy was a good guy said some funny things but he was flat and it was just a right the 3D version of him that he ultimately jumped into was accepting and being who he truly was right and god some of the comedy that that guy his thoughtfulness his the depth of his work you know wow could watch it for hours um, and you know Robin Williams from the improvisational side of the coin and Jonathan Winters, they, they, Jonathan Winters did a movie not too long ago, before a few years before he passed. It's about his art, which is fascinating if you're interested in Netflix. Mm-hmm. And he sits down with uh, Robin Williams, and they did like they did, did Carson a couple times together. Mm-hmm. And uh, but in this thing, they're both they're both sitting, and the camera's on them, and they're like, you know, uh, and I think I forget what the prompt was, like you know, you know, say kitty, and they were like. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jonathan Wendt is like, <laughs> and his two grown men sitting there being cats is just like, ah, oh, so priceless. I, to, you know, to see Jonathan Winters growing up as a kid and then sustain it watching Robin Williams as when I, Mork and Mindy and that stuff blew my mind. That like, you know, and that's a guy who dealt with all kinds of stuff, right? Over the course of his career, alcoholism and ultimately taking his own life. Um, you know, so maybe it's the thing that both stabilizes and can I don't know, pull you out or maybe like, maybe in some ways, I don't know with him. God only knows, you know, I feel like it creates a safe space. Like the, like good improv happens in a safe space. Even if like, no matter what the room feels like the, the troupe is that it's gotta be that you you have to have the space where you're allowed to be yourself. And I think what makes me think of that is how much uh, Carlin and Williams and, and Bill Hicks talked about being angry. Mm. Like, which is, which is still even, even now, like, even as I think we as a culture are a whole lot more okay with, you know, expressions of anger, talking about being angry and what that does for us still seems 
still is, I think, pretty taboo. Like, you don't talk about being angry. You don't talk about why you're angry. You don't, like, outside of comedians, there aren't a lot of people who are talking about the value of that and and how externalizing it, um, externalizing it in a more productive way yeah. helps it to be healthy. And I think that it, that's an extreme example of, like, of one of the things that improv and comedy help people to do. Like, right. if you look at um, Mitch Hedberg, oh, um, who was just, I mean... Like there, are, uh, who was phenomenal. God. Talk talk about another guy gone too soon. But his, I mean, his stand up was. He started doing stand up as therapy. His therapist was like, because he no was, he would that. go, he, yeah, he would go. The reason, so he had terrible, like terrible agoraphobia. Not agoraphobia, but he had he had a really tough time with crowds and speaking in front of okay. people. Wow. So when he started out, he would go with sun, sunglasses on, take the mic out of the stand, sit on the edge of the stage, and just like head down, do his jokes into the mic. Oh, fascinating! Like, and that's and that's how we did it, and that's why, like, that's why he did, uh, that's why he did his stand up in shades. That's that's that his whole awkward bit was an earnest expression of this is really uncomfortable for me, but this is all I have. <laughs> like, this oh, is, wow. but this is not all I have. But this is how I'm working through this space so I can be more comfortable here. Um, and it's like, and he went from that to like being. I mean, he his his stuff is so is still yeah. phenomenal and 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 a beautiful thing. Yeah, I I think grabbing on to humor and comedy, you know, can be a savior. It was for me, you know. It allowed me kind of like uh, access to, you know, especially during those years post White House. I was like, who the hell am I? Yeah. You know, and I did my own years of therapy, uh, and got in touch with some of that anger, that sadness, and was able to kind of like um, have an outside venue. And I hear it over and over again in the classes. Mm-hmm. You know, some people be like, man, it's great to laugh again. Uh, to rela- relax, let go. It's been a tough month. It's been a tough week. People start to break down as their shit. You know, in my classes at the end of the class, I always ask for what's your takeaway from today, if anything. Mm-hmm. It's a nice check in for me to see if people are learning stuff. Yep. And two, uh, I ask for the gratitude because they're for the grace of God go I. When I hear their gratitude, it helps me remember to be grateful. And it's neat when people say, man, it was just nice to, uh, you, you made me think of this when you mentioned safe space, uh, come into a space, be able to play. Try stuff out. Try these improv. Try it on, and and uh, not be judged or ridiculed or torn apart for it. Yeah. The, normally, the only person doing that in our in the room with me, at least, and many of the rooms I've been in, is us to yeah. ourselves. And so the te- it's always the teachers like, listen, let go of that a little. Be nice <laughs> to yourself for God's sakes, you know. Because um, when I was in my early years of it, oh, I was brutal on myself. Oh, I could have done this. Could have done that. I should have done this. Awful. Blah blah blah. Now I'll look at a show and be like, well. Uh, from more of a perspective well that sucked uh, you know why didn't I show up here what was going on in my head how could I have been better here how mm-hmm. could I have contributed more what's my takeaway from this right mm-hmm. so I feel like we're always learning it's an opportunity for us to kind of come back to what you mentioned earlier connection and that space that safe space especially in the class and on the stage with people you enjoy playing with uh, is, is just awesome yeah. right it, it kind of mimics a family you know like of what you want in your own life you want to be in a safe space even as it might get it might get uh, messy, yeah. but you're looking for somebody who can hold the space while you're being messy, right. you know. So I feel like improvisation teaches that, and then body language ties into that. And then, you know, my other part of my world is something called movement pattern analysis. Right, okay. this is something I've studied at uh, Chicago Col- or Columbia College in Chicago, mm-hmm. based off the work of a guy named Warren Lamb. And you have like what's called a behavioral fingerprint. 
you know, after about that 21, 22 years old, you've got a, a reoccurring movement pattern between your upper and lower half of your body mm-hmm. called a posture gesture merger. Everything's moving together. Right. And based upon where that, how it happens, where it happens, uh, it can be an indicator to you that, um, of how someone, uh, how they gather information, how they deliberate, how they uh, execute. Right. And so if you add that in to the study of body language mixed in with improvisation, it takes your work to another whole level. Because now you'll see a character who's increasing in pressure, which is tied into determining. Mm-hmm. So when you see that, it's like, okay, this, char- this person across from me in the scene is, a, is very determined. Right. I can play off that or play right. against it. Right. Or, so the more windows into that other character's soul, their physicality, uh, their emotion, their point of view the easier it is to build connection on the stage and I feel like that even in life. The more you can spot, not from like a, like a place of like, I'm going to watch you, <laughs> but from a place of like, I'm, a, I'm here, I'm present, I'm observing uh, this other person, observing this other uh, human being mm-hmm. back and forth and together we build that relationship, that commitment, that, right. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think DC has, DC is the, the newest city, the newest like big city to embrace the the quote-unquote cult of improv mm. um in that like i a friend of mine started doing uh, uh uh my friend alex uh started doing improv uh about a year before i did and then here uh at wit okay at wit um and then half a dozen other like as i was starting into your classes half a dozen other people started doing improv yeah most, most recently my friend grace uh took one of your classes oh cool um, yes yeah uh, she was lovely she came up to me afterward and she was like bruno falcon says hello <laughs> bruno falcon. best name in improv uh someday it'll be in lights like I, you know it's, it's like <laughs> remember the little people bruno. Billboard. <laughs> <laughs> there are no little people Chris. <laughs> but that's i mean but i feel like improv it, like i i feel like part of the reason improv keeps gaining traction is that it helps build empathy and it helps helps build self-sympathy like i have i have a list i, I have a list of things that i mapped out when i started doing the show um and at the bottom of the list, every time, like every time I get through to the bottom of like all the stuff I need to do, keep breathing and be kind to yourself because those are like, because <laughs> if, if I'm not, if I'm not kind to me about this thing, who else is like, who else is going to do it? And if I'm not doing that for me, how can I do it for other people? Yeah. You know? Oh, that's and, great. And I feel like working, working in the room and doing that and, and, you know, doing shows with people really helps to build that. Right. Build, work those muscles and build that, uh, build that structure. You make me think of, uh, I read an article in The Hollywood Reporter, I think it is. Uh, it's on, I think his name is Michael Goldsmith. Do you know who that is? Mm-mm. He's the most interesting man in the world. You know, ah, Dos yes. guy? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. What's that guy's name? I can't think of that Dos guy's name, but whoever that character is, he's the most interesting man mm-hmm. in the world. And uh, when he, he auditioned for that, I know for sure it's Goldsmith is the last name. He's a Jewish guy. He's in a room with four or five hundred other Latino men who are also vying for the commercial, right? How do you? They had to do two things. One is the gig was for a beer commercial for Dosecchi's, where mm-hmm. it was the most interesting man in the world, and it was based around this idea too, of uh, they would have to end this, you know, the, the audition with, and that's how I, uh, that's how I arm wrestled Fidel Castro, right? So he gets the gig. He's, he's at rock bottom, kind of financially. It's, you know, according to this article, he'd, he'd left. He was in Hollywood, acted for a while. Then had a marketing gig, made some money off that, but was now like living out of his truck basically. Mm-hmm. And he's he goes to this audition to, for this beer commercial, and he sees all these actors, and uh, he, basically it was improv. So in the moment, he, life experience, 
right? He's, he's probably in the, I don't know how old, 60s when he's doing that or older though, mm-hmm. but full of life experience. Hadn't shaved much, hadn't shaved because of like living in the truck. So he mm-hmm. comes in looking quote like a hobo a little bit. Yeah. And uh, he basically improvises. And, um, but it, what you just said made me think of it where be kind to yourself and be present with yourself rather than be like, look, and he's having these moments a little bit like, what am I doing here? called his agent, walked away, or was going to walk away and heard her in his head being like, you didn't even try, you walked away, came back. Like that voice. Mm-hmm. That voice lives in all of us in the improv room. It's like the voice going, I don't know, I can't do this. I might, you know, ah. I call it the Woody Allen voice in your head. I, my, I got a tumor in my head the size of a basketball. I can't get up there and do this. Get me down. Don't try it. You'll be, you'll be ridiculed. Mm-hmm. You know, that voice is right there and I always will say, you know, tell that voice thank you. Take a seat at the table. I'm running this meeting, but thanks for being here. Just hang out at the table. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not going to get rid of you. You're always going to be here, but please let me run this meeting. Right. And so it's like that's basically what happens for them. He comes back. He takes his shoes off, gets comfortable, like the, the most interesting man in the world would do that, and he kind of riffs into this thing about, you know, it just goes off. And as he's riffing, he hears laughter mm-hmm. and them trying not to laugh, but mm-hmm. he's like dead on. Mm-hmm. And he just has like the audition of his life. He gets the role he's meant to get, but he would have never gotten it if he didn't improvise, you know, or, or no, free, improvise meaning like take the risk right. rather than run. Right. And then ultimately improvise off of and get to the final line of, and that's how I, uh, that's <laughs> how I uh, arm wrestle Fidel, Fidel Castro. And you watch it, you read it, you know, it's in the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, but it was so cool to watch. It reminder to me that you never know where this stuff's going to land, where it's going to take you, where uh, where it will show up. You know. Yeah, riffing off of like the getting the break. Um, I finally, finally saw Don't Think Twice. Oh, great! Which was a, which is a phenomenal film. And w- but one of the things I think make it so good is that it's not it's not an up film. Like it's not like I feel like I I know a lot of people who wanted to show it. Like it's about it's about improv like it's all these funny people it's gonna be really funny kind of like fox fox catcher it's like it's steve carell it'll be a fun no. right <laughs> but it's like and it's about improv but it's about it's about hitting bottom like it's about that struggle it's about coming through the thing and finding that you're able to do it even at the bottom like even at the very bottom even at the very bottom of the slope even when you you've totally bottomed out and you're scraping on the ground you can still do it which is what gives you the capacity to work your way back up to the next thing. I don't know if that's a part of learning how to do that kind of work. If, if that's a part of learning how to how to do comedy or do improv or, or if or do anything, just because so many stories about success and about finding that successful space, especially in in comedy and in and in uh, and in acting, is about finding the bot like finding out how much resilient capacity for growth we have no that's great yeah you know this game from uh the classes are always funny because in the, two things happen with this game it's called hotspot i remember this one right mm-hmm. and as i say it like in some of the classes in the upper level class people are like oh and literally what it is is people jump in the middle they sing a song the outside supports them in the song and then jumps in and comes up with another song based upon what, hopefully what they're listening to of that person singing right Two things happen with that. In the initial classes, people panic that they don't have the song, to know the lines to the song, um, but, it, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, if they jump in, it's really about, can I jump in without even, not even knowing what I'm going to sing mm-hmm. and live? 
you know, and see what happens. Like, what's that feel like? Try it on. And some people, as a, by the end of the class, people are much faster. They're jumping in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the muscle we need to work in improv and in life. To me, I was like, uh, I had this moment. <laughs> the class didn't necessarily follow me there, but I'm like, wait a minute. This is just like life. You know, are you willing to take the jump and feel what it feels like to live in that scariness? Mm-hmm. And guess what? You survived it, yeah. you know, and someone saved you. They came in and they followed up. So but by you jumping in, you, you moved it forward. Now we're thinking about another song connected to your song that, you know, so in life, it's like, what's the song that you're willing to sing mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, or jump into mm-hmm. to see what, you know, make it up as it might be, might be awkward, might be only know a couple words. But like uh, by doing that, you put yourself in a position where you'll know either way. Right. You know, oh, that didn't go well. Or it's like, well, I didn't go well, but here's what I learned. Or this went well. Here's where I go from here with this. This was, I felt, this felt right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, the passion for this. Like, where's your passion? Where are you finding it? You mentioned in this work uh, that you're starting to really enjoy it. It's your passion. It's hard. Yeah. And you, and, but you love it. You know, when, after the fact, when you've done all the work, when it's up, with the podcast and some of your other creative endeavors, it's like, ah, so it's, to me, that's taking the leap in, mm-hmm. you know, to sing your song, Bruno, or who's, <laughs> that, who's ever singing their song out there, you know. That's, that's a key, key piece of it for me. Yeah. You put one minute in front of another minute <laughs> yeah. in front of another minute. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, you, take, you, take, you take a thing that happens, and then another thing that happens, and then another thing that happens, and before too long, you've built a life. Oh, that's, that, that's that, cool. Out of those moments, I can't. I, I, sentiment. I'm gonna. I, I have to credit that back to Bonnie, um, who was on the show a little bit ago, um, and I, I don't think it's originally from her, but it, uh, it's it's one of the things that she. It stands on its own. Yeah. Um, it stands on its own. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. I love this idea. That's helpful to hear, you know, because there's some days where I'm super impatient. You know, this is gonna sound silly, but. Uh, I've been getting uh, up every day at the same time at the suggestion of uh, a guy named uh, uh, um, I'm going to mess up his last name I always do uh, Joe Pegalisi forgive me Joe I messed up your last name but Joe fascinating guy who is an entrepreneur starting his own business a little bit so he's been working with me a little bit on um, some of the elements of successful folks and one of this they get up every day at the same time regardless of the day mm-hmm. And I've noticed getting up on a regular schedule every day, because I might work late one night, I work for myself, so I might sleep till, if I'm up till two in the morning, I might sleep till 9.30, 10 o'clock. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and then start the day. But getting up early, I have all this extra window, you know, yeah. to, to play with. And uh, those extra minutes, putting those minutes in front of those other minutes, are creating less anxiety, mm-hmm. more opportunity, to play, to, to learn, because it's not always about the work. In that time, it's an opportunity to sit and read and or do some work in the morning that I otherwise wouldn't get to until later in the day. Yeah. So it's refocusing and rechanneling my mental energy, creating more executive decision space in my own brain, and more, I feel more creative because it's like I'm not pressed always against like, oh, God, I'm out of time, I'm out of time. Had I only gotten up, had I only gotten up. Yeah. So... You know, to what extent we can influence that, uh, those mi- the bringing, putting those minutes together, yeah. that kind of early getting up. And so I've got friends who get up at like 4.50 in the morning. God bless them. Oh, you do? Is that you? I'm a, I'm a five o'clock kind of guy. God bless you, man. <laughs> I'll work there. I'll work to get there. But like, every day? Um, five or five thirty. Sometimes I'll let myself sleep in on the weekends, but most of the time, at like I never, I never sleep past six thirty wow. anymore. What well, about on the days like you go to bed at two in the morning? Or I you... don't see. That's the thing. 
You're in bed by what? Don't 10? anymore. Like ten or eleven. I'm like, pushing. I'm pushing myself to get back to, like, I in the post in the post election haze. I got back to like you know. Getting really comfortable with eight hours of sleep since ah. I can't since I can get them. But now I'm trying to push that a little bit, and I know it's not like finding the balance for my body, but like pushing myself to say, okay, you can go, to, you can still go to sleep if you go to sleep at midnight and wake up at five thirty, and you do that like once or twice a week, you can make that work. Right. You know, but but getting up at five because for me, if I don't get up, if I don't get up in the morning that way, I'm not gonna go to the gym. I'm not right. gonna go for a run. Yeah. And then and then that puts the spin on my day which is like i could i could have done this thing but, yeah but i didn't and i feel like that also plays back to scene work too mm. when it's like if you're worried about the bit i could have had the bit i could have had you know jump if you if you don't jump in when it feels like the time to jump in those are the moments when you have like oh i could have done this or i would have had more time in the scene or the scene would have like i could have gotten to this place with this scene but if you're if you're if you're able to just commit to I'm gonna, and it, and it's the same I think it's the same sort of commitment in in my mind, I'm gonna jump in when it feels right, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to do that even when it's uncomfortable, yeah. even when even when the Woody Allen voice is telling yes. me that it might be a bad idea, like I'm making this commitment in the same way that like I you know yeah man I want to sleep in until nine o'clock if my body will let me I want to stay up until two and hang out with yeah. people that I yeah. don't see all that often, yeah. but you know. But it went from and, and it and it evolved from like I'm committing to do this thing because it's it's something that I wanna I wanna see if I can do it for myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and How long have you been doing it? Since last April. Oh cool, man. Last April yeah, last April I went to I, I was lucky enough to go to Venice with my with my family and I, I went on this vacation and I said I'm gonna run every day. So I ran every day I was in Venice. And then I came back and was like, Well, I wanna keep doing that. But the only way I can do that is if I get up earlier. Right. And so I was like, okay, this is this is the thing that I do now. I'm going to yeah. go to sleep, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to work out. And in and the time didn't matter as much as the commitment to saying saying yes to this. Like, yes, ending this thing. Yes, ending, I'm going to do this for myself. And I lost a lot of weight, and, and I got... And, yeah. and it stopped... I lost a lot of weight, and it cool. stopped being... It stopped being a commitment and started being a part of... Who you are. Who I am. Yeah, it's cool. And I think in the same like in the same way, one of like one of the things I still strive for because I'm I'm not there yet uh, is being able to do scene work and say, okay, I'm gonna jump in. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna jump in. Like and and this is the moment. Like at this time, like no, when I feel when that thing clicks, when I get when that little when that little tumbler shifts in my head and says it's time to it's time to move, I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna trust it. And making like committing to doing that, it's gonna be wrong sometimes because sometimes like sometimes you misread the scene, sometimes you're not quite there, and then you so you stumble, but then you keep moving with it. But but the longer you do it, the more you do it and work that muscle, the less of a commitment it becomes, and more the more it becomes a part of how you work scenes and a part of who you are as an improviser. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and if you think about that, you know, you're basically saying yes and to getting up at five a.m. You know. And for myself, it's 7 a.m., which is not, that's about an average time. But for me, every day, to be up at 7 a.m. is a nice, it's just, and, and I need to work on the back end. Commit to being like, okay, it's 11 o'clock, time to go to bed, you know. But it'll be like I finished working or doing something. That's that, I love those hours from about 11 to 1. It's quiet. No one's around. 
Mm-hmm. You can just focus. Mm-hmm. You know? Even my neighborhood's quiet. No one's yelling fuck you to each other as they, you know, drive their bike or car down the Hey, buddy, watch where you're going. F you. I swore on your podcast. I apologize. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I just realized. Um, I think, I think I've, I like, as much as I want this to be like a totally for everybody I think it's going to end up with the explicit tag (laughs) invariably either I mess up or somebody else does and it's just like you know I don't want to bleep it because like it's just not it's just not honest to the thing George Carlin if George Carlin taught me nothing else it's that fuck is the most versatile word in the English language yeah Yeah. Yeah. let's embrace it yeah amen Um, amen I'm down but uh but like it's so quiet so I'm up mm -hmm. and uh you know, uh, but I but I would it would be valuable to go to bed a little earlier. You know, so I'm working on it. Eventually, my goal is six. I don't five. Uh, I don't need to get up that early, but six would be a valuable time to start to get up for me. Yeah. But uh, but all I know is like uh, you know you oh you mentioned scene which I loved is that you know uh, even as I say that to you like even having done it for a while and compared to I watch people like Craig Kakowski do it. He's been doing it 25 years. I was in L. A. recently. And I marveled watching him do it. That you know. And I've seen, I went to one show which they weren't having a great show, but you know, he just stayed in it, was performing. You'd never know it, right? Um, uh, but man, what a joy to watch. If, you're fo- if anybody ever gets out to out Los Angeles, go see Craig Kukowski. Mm-hmm. I think Quartet is one, Dazarinsky or, or whatever they're called. Just a real joy to watch. Like, go watch that guy because there's a sense of fearlessness in whatever he does. I, I don't see any fear there. And then my own, men, you know, my, the, my, the image I see occasionally is, I'm about to jump into a scene and, and like you're going for it, but all those other voices of fear, worry, is the right thing, are pulling at your, you know, at, at the strings to pull you back. And it's like you have to push through that. And I notice that occasionally sometimes when I'm fighting, like if I haven't done a speech in a while and I've got to go give a talk and there's some of those, the, 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 the nerves are there and they're like, huh, do hello. And then you jump into it and you're on, you know, and you're in it. Uh, I saw somebody named woman do a show called Butt Kapinski the other night. Fascinating. Look her up online. One woman show who does this film noir to this character, Butt Kapinski, who talks like this, can't roll their Oz, and has like this lamp thing that she wears in a harness built over. So it's like, you know, a lamp and a film noir and she just, it's fantastic. Nice. But uh, uh, watching her kind of, she told me that uh, there are times before the show she's a nervous wreck. You know, her anxiety's kicking and she doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to do it, and then it starts and it's like, boof, it falls away. I feel like that's trusting, taking that leap. You know, Campbell might say, follow your bliss or, you know, take the leap, the net will appear kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, more often than that, it has. You know, when I took that leap uh, to to go work at George Washington University Mm -hmm. and got fired uh, from that job, um, uh, the net was... um, other opportunity was out there right and it pushed me it was the push I needed to say enough you know I was angry enough to go I'm gonna give this a shot on my own with the support of other people sure and so I feel like the universe related to the universe the universe um, was uh, was was there you know so uh, but but you know so whether it's scene work again or it's like coming back to like just in life I feel like the improvisational mindset of yes and of saying, uh, you know, taking the leap has been such a gift. And when I see people in the class, uh, like yourself talking about it and how you're using it in your own world, um, over and over again, people taking those little risks and sometimes big risks, uh, to me, they're all the same, you know, uh, they all matter. They're all important. And 
whatever one you whatever it is for you whatever that risk is for you i feel like the improv is the is the gym you know the workout gym facility it's your workout to get you to be like okay i'm going to say something today and i never i never talk up or i never speak up or i'm going to quit this job and or i'm going to move to here and you know uh, i think a lot of times and i feel like when people come in the class not necessarily they're looking for something but something may feel sometimes the hole in the soul is mm-hmm. there and not that this is the remedy to the hole in the soul but it it comes back to that self-awareness right. which you talked about that uh, we can reconnect to and it comes back to the body language you know for me it's like being aware of your own body language understanding something what you're saying with your body language what, what are you saying without saying a word with your body language and the more you're aware of that uh, that connection I think the more opportunity there is to kind of live the life you want versus the life that's expected yeah. Yeah. That's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Chris at applying to everything.xyz slash guests or at see you in the moment. You can also find out more about the classes Chris teaches at the DC Improv at dcimprov.com slash comedy dash school. Chris also has a short film, Devour, in the 48-hour film festival this Friday, July 14th, at the AFI Theater in Silver Spring. Showtime is at 7.30, and tickets are on sale now. Chris performs with the groups Jive Turkey and Knox here in D.C. Both Jive Turkey and Knox have shows this week and throughout the summer at the Source Theater. Find out more at applyingtoeverything.xyz slash guests. You can find out more about the show at applyingtoeverything.xyz. We also have a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're available on iTunes and Google Play. If you like the show, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review. I'd like to thank Humblefire for the use of our theme song, Mount St. Misery, off of The Great Resolve, available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your music. I'd also like to thank Chiara Scarcella for designing our logo. Tune in next week for a conversation with Zach Rothman about the death or not death of rock and roll, how music is and is not like code, and who does the doing part of art. Talk to you then.